an elder actually back at Citygate, which is where I've come from. Uh, he's also director of training for Commission. He oversees all the training of future leaders and various other aspects of training within our Commission family of churches. And I could rave about him in all sorts of other ways. He's a brilliant, gifted teacher. Do you know, most importantly to me, he's my friend. And I love him dearly, and I'm thrilled he's with us today. And uh, this afternoon, he's going to be meeting with those who preach in this church and doing some training with us as well, which we're so thrilled that he can be with us throughout this day. So can we give Mick a great harvest welcome, please? Well, good morning. This is a fab building, isn't it? It's it's amazing, very impressive. Um, We've almost forgiven you. um, (laughs) Almost. Uh, for taking Andrew and Emma and the family away from us. But um, we've only been at um, Citygate for just over two and a half years. And all I want to say about Andrew and Emma is if you're enjoying them now, in two years it'll be even better. And uh, they're like fine wine. They just get better and better. And and, uh, just to make clear, being director of training means that I'm responsible for all the good bits of training... Uh, not for anything that goes wrong. Uh, are you ready for an adventure? Yeah, I've, I've heard that's what this church is ready for. And uh, having a building like this means you've already been on adventures and continue on adventures of faith. And this morning I want to hope, uh, hope to encourage you on that journey of faith. Um, but what faith is can be a bit confusing. So really this morning I want to illustrate what faith is. And as we do that, I pray the Holy Spirit will bring to you the point where you need to be encouraged in faith, maybe invite you to another adventure of faith. But the question now is, do you trust me? Uh, Because I need... mm, Two volunteers. You need to be relatively active just to come and join me up here. You, I mean, I'm, look, I look trustworthy, don't I? I look, I look. That's one. I just, and here's another. This is very good. So this is going to be very simple. You're going to have to de- decide which one to do it. But one of you, you've probably done this before, is going to fall backwards. And the other one is going to catch you. And the level of faith that the one falling has um, is reflected on how far they're willing to sort of fall, okay? okay. So which one's falling, which I'm one's catching? Yes. So you better step forward a bit forward. Yes. Yes. Oh. oh, this is faith. That's right. <laughs> right, whenever you're ready, just at Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And um, do you. I wonder if you believe me. Inside this blank envelope is a £10 note. And the first person that stands on their chair and. <laughs> and And shouts, Jesus is Lord. (laughs) 
and you were trusting that I was going to say I was going to give it to you. I could have changed my instructions. Well, there you are. What is faith? Here's a definition in Scripture. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That is, faith can look like falling backwards, being certain of what we do not see. And faith can look like standing up and shouting out, Jesus is Lord, because you're certain of what you hope for. Faith. This means that faith is not what many people think it is. Many people think that faith is a sort of mystical quality that a few religious people have. Faith is the foolishness that believes a hundred impossible things before breakfast. But faith is not something that is rare. Faith is a common commodity. Faith is more abundant than tea or coffee, rice or corn, salt or sugar. Everyone exercises faith. As you approached the building this morning, you expected it to be open. Uh, if you go to Sainsbury's, I guess they have those you know, automatic doors. As you approach, you trust that they will open. When you came in this morning, you didn't do a materials check on these chairs, did you? But you trusted that they would hold your weight. If you're employed for a day, a week, or a month, you expect at the end of that period, you trust, you have faith that your employer will pay you. People put faith in science, they put faith in their parents, they put faith in themselves. Faith can be misplaced, it can be eroded, faith wavers, but it's not rare. Everyone has faith. You wouldn't have got out of bed this morning unless you had faith. But faith looks like different things in different circumstances. And I hope there's some of you here this morning saying, well, I'm not there with the Christian faith yet. And my prayer is that as we go through this morning and you see the difference that faith in Jesus makes, you will find that so attractive that you'll want to put your faith in him at the end. It's not do you trust if you have faith. Because we all have faith. It's in whom or in what do you put your faith? What do you trust most? Who do you have the most confidence in? And for a Christian, it is in Jesus. Faith is not a rare commodity, but faith has many faces or facets. And then we're going to look at some of them. It can look like risky deeds or quiet trust. It can involve action, and sometimes it involves simply waiting. Sometimes it's spontaneous. Other times it requires discipline. Sometimes it looks like risky deeds. The, fame, the example that always comes to mind about risky deeds is Peter walking on the water. You remember that um, Jesus had fed the 5,000. He had dismissed the disciples, put them back on the boat and said, I will join you later, go across the lake. And uh, Jesus spends some time on his own. And as they travel across the lake, their storm arises and they're a bit troubled. But what troubles them even more 
And as they see this ghostly-like figure walking on the waves towards them. And they're afraid. And Jesus said, it's I. And Peter says, bless him, tell me to come to you on the water if it's you. And Jesus says, come. And he steps out the boat. Have you ever wondered what it felt like when he stepped out of the boat? I was one, one day in, so like daydreaming, thinking, did it feel like there were stepping stones? You know, and you thought, oh, that's all right, I can do this. I don't think so. I think every step he took felt like he would sink. And just by the way, my experience of speaking in tongues um, was this. All my friends who spoke in tongues, it was like um, their first experience was like the hose pipe. You know, you have a kink in your hose pipe and there's nothing. And then someone unkinks it and it spurts in your face. And their experiences were, were very much like that. It was uncontrollable. I had a friend who woke up in the middle of the night and they were praying in tongues, in this language that they didn't understand. And so I thought that's how it would be for me. And that's what I prayed for. I saw the benefit it gave to other people. And I said, Lord, I'd, I'd like that. And I got nothing like that. What I did get occasionally was a sort of a syllable or two. Just a strange sound. Which I thought, oh, that's just me. Until one day, having prayed off and on about this gift and preparing a message on Peter walking on the water, I was musing on, what does it feel like to step out of the boat? Did, was there a stepping stone? Did it feel like, oh, that's okay, I can do this? And I thought, no. And then as preachers do, I started preaching this message to people. And, you know, God has called you to do something and you're waiting for reassurance. And he says, get out of the boat. Peter didn't feel there was a stepping stone. Now get out of the boat. I was preaching very well to my imaginary audience until the Holy Spirit said, get out the boat yourself. I said, what do you mean? What about praying in tongues? I said, well, I would like to, but it just doesn't burst out of me. And it was, then I realized that those little syllables, syllables was the beginning of it. Or at least could be. I thought, but maybe I'm making it up. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's other spiritual forces. And I just felt the Lord say, don't you trust me? Do you think if you're asking me for this, and when you ask me you get these syllables, don't you think that might be me? So get out of the boat. And for me, that was the start of my journey. And I found that after a few syllables, I had a few more, and they didn't go on very long. But the next time, they, there was more. It might not be speaking in tongues for you, but it never feels safe when you step out in faith. Um, just by the way, there's not in my notes. When we were coming to Bournemouth two and a half years ago, a bit before that, I got a bit worried um, everything seemed right but I did get a bit worried about it and I said Lord this feels really hard because we're leaving a great church and we've got these very gifted people like Andrew and Emma in this church and you know when you start a new job sometimes you think you're going to be there for a few weeks and then they come along and go we thought you had it but you haven't please leave I said all these gifted people is this the right thing for me to do and I found myself saying this Lord I've been a Christian for 
over 40 years. Shouldn't it be easier by now? (laughs) And the thought that came back to me was, didn't you know it always has to be by faith? Which means it always has times when it feels difficult and challenging and uncertain. But you come when Jesus says come. So here's Peter, he gets out of the boat. Last uh, three weekends ago now, we were in Madrid. A couple who had been in uh, Citygate, planted the church in Salisbury, and you might know them, Kevin Ness and the family, moved to Madrid. They moved seven years ago. They moved without knowing really Spanish, without a job, with three young children. Seven years later, there is a church in Madrid that they have planted that the majority of people speak Spanish and it is thriving. But when they left seven years ago, it was scary. But Jesus said, come. And so they went. Faith doesn't mean that God will underwrite any crazy thing you decide to do. Only what he calls us to do. I went to India... uh, India. I have been to India, but I have been to Russia a number of times and met Christians there. 89 to 91, that as the communist regime began to topple, there was like religious revival. Many people came to faith in Christ. There was a, there's a city north of Moscow on the St. Petersburg Road, a city called Tavir. And a young woman, a student, becomes a Christian. Um, she's not welcomed by any of the churches she knows. There was only the official Baptist church and the Orthodox church. They didn't want to know her because she had experiences of the Holy Spirit that they knew nothing about. Through her and others, in one year, 500 of them, students mainly, became Christians. But they had no pastor. They had no one to shepherd them. And they were, well, as I said, all we had was the Bible and the Holy Spirit. So they wanted to know, were they really growing spiritually? How do you test if you're growing spiritually? And one of them came up with this idea. They filled the bath with water. And they thought, if we're really spiritual, we'll be able to walk on the water. (laughs) Isn't that lovely? Don't you just love that naivety of faith? But you know, I don't know anybody else in history that's walked on water. And Peter could do it, not because he had enough faith. And if only we had enough faith, we could walk on water. He could walk on water because Jesus said, come, and he trusted him. The question is not, can you walk on water, but will you obey him? You know, the devil threw a promise at Jesus. In the temptations, he said, Throw yourself down from the temple, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands, so you will not strike your foot against a stone. And what did Jesus say? Do not test the Lord your God. There are many promises in the Bible. You have to know the ones that God is calling you to take at this point. Does that make sense? God can do everything he promises you. And sometimes that will be risky. 
it will always require faith. Faith is sometimes risky deeds. Sometimes it's quiet trust. Uh, Another boat story. This time Jesus is in the boat. And even the fishermen who are used to navigating the lake are so frightened by the storm that arises that they think they're going to sink and can't quite understand how Jesus can sleep through the storm. So they wake him up and they say, Master, don't you care that we perish? And what did Jesus do? He stood up, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and then he rebuked them. But their little faith. Interesting, this miracle here is done in response to doubt and fear, not in response to faith. Sometimes faith means holding on and trusting that he's with you and he cares for you in the midst of the storms of life. If it's hard, if it's confusing... If it feels like it will overwhelm you, it doesn't mean he's not there. It doesn't mean he doesn't care. Trust him. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. Much debate exactly what it was, but he didn't want it. He didn't like it. It was a pain to him. Three times he asked the Lord, take this from me. Because the Lord can do all things. He could have taken this from him. But the Lord's response to him at that moment and through his life on that issue was my power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul trusted him. Sometimes it's quite trust. Sometimes it's risky deeds. Sometimes it's action and sometimes it's waiting. I find this one confusing. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Moses, he has um, started leading the people of God out of slavery in Egypt. They've had the ten plagues. And Pharaoh at last has said, go. Go. And so they march out. They march quite a long way. And then Pharaoh, like he has done every other time, changes his mind. And this time, he sends his army to catch them because they have, have actually left. They're on their way. And so the people of God are marching and in front of them they encounter a body of water that they cannot get through. And when they look behind them, the Egyptian army in fury is chasing after them and they're in this cul-de-sac in the wilderness. Exodus 14, verse 13, Moses stands up and says, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will ne- you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Moses thinks, all I have to do is wait here. And then the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on into the water don't wait go forward raise your staff stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground it looked like faith what Moses was saying we stand God has promised 
He will stop the army. And what does God say? What are you doing? Don't just stand there. Do something. Raise your staff. Go towards the sea. And he does. He got confused. I got confused. I was 19 years old. I was at college in Coventry. And the, my best friend at college, who became the best man at our wedding, we decided that we would get a flat together. He was in the halls of residence. I was in student digs. And we thought it would be great. Third term of the first year, we'd get a place together and we'd really enjoy ourselves. And um, everything was lined up. There were some students leaving a student um, accommodation, a flat, and uh, they said, oh, we'll put your name down on the landlord to have, let you have the flat. So that's fine, isn't it? Everything's going smoothly. Until about two weeks before that was supposed to happen, and the landlord decides not to rent to students. I don't know if that's because of what they did or what they'd heard about us, but he wasn't going to rent. There was only two weeks. So as soon as we got the news, Nick and I got the Coventry Evening Telegraph, that great piece of journalism, and went to the back to look at all the box ads for accommodation. As we opened the pages, we both feel God say, don't do that, just pray. So that's what we did. We folded up the newspaper, put it away, and for the next few days we prayed. And we prayed a bit more as the days went on and on, and it got really near I'm thinking I'm going to be sleeping on the floor in someone's flat. Until almost it was too late, I was on a bus going back to my student dicks. I get off the bus and a lady gets off the bus at the same time. And I can still see her. She had two shopping bags. And she just, as we got off the bus, she said, are you a student? Which meant she had a gift of discernment because I had a big college scarf <laughs> around my neck and just looked like students do. And I said, yes. She said, well, do, have you got a student flat round here? And I said, no, I'm living in digs, but I need a flat. And I can see it. She put the shopping down. She said, on the corner, that house, there's a flat going. And we moved in. That was fantastic. Wind the clock on four years. Val and I are now married. We're going to Spurgeon's, the Baptist training college. Got it guided and clear. I was going to be a minister, a pastor, church leader. So surely this is all going to work out. We need a flat. We're moving from Coventry to South East London. We need a flat. I think I know how to do this. I mean, this is easy for Christians, isn't it? For about three months, we were technically homeless. Six weeks of that was into the first six weeks of the first term. We stayed with my parents, which was fun because they lived in a three-bed council house, and we shared that with mum dad, two sisters, a brother, my nan, and a dog. We spent a week with the pastor and his wife and six weeks with the girls we gave captain. All of those were interesting experiences for different reasons. And there was a point in that when I'm saying, Lord, when I'm 19 and it was going to be easy, you did a miracle. And now I'm married and going to college and it didn't happen. And I didn't get a voice from heaven, but what I realized is that sometimes faith means just waiting, and sometimes it needed action, and we had to do things. We had to look at ads, we had to walk the streets, we had to 
pursue every opportunity and why we did that, trust him to lead us to the right place. Interesting, rents were very high, we had very little money. The flat we got was owned by, uh, well, was managed by the son of a lady who was a Baptist Christian, but elderly. He lived away. And when he heard that we wanted the flat upstairs, he let us have it beyond other people because uh, they wanted someone to look after and they thought we were safe to look after his mum or keep an eye out on her. So God was involved, but he was involved in a different way. Sometimes faith is waiting and God comes through miraculously. Sometimes he's saying, come on, do something. Even when it looks impossible. Sometimes it's marching towards the Red Sea, holding out a staff, and seeing the waves part. Is your adventure of faith at the moment about action, or is it about waiting? Now, I've got one other pair of things about facets, but before I do that, a couple of things. Faith has many faces, and we need to recognize them, but we do know, don't we, that faith is the road down which miracles travel. Faith is the road down which miracles travel. And just two things on that. Faith is not all just individual. And sometimes you might feel that you're in that place of turmoil, like you're in the boat, you're struggling. You, you feel like you have so little faith. You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to get friends. Do you remember the story of the man who was paralyzed? And his friends carried him And because they couldn't get in the front door, they went onto the flat roof and dug the flat roof up. And then lowered him down. And it says, Jesus looked up and saw their faith. Not just his faith. We don't know if he had much faith at all, but we do know that those men had faith. Faith that led them to action. (laughs) But Jesus saw their faith. And maybe your adventure today is that from in your need, you need to go find four friends and say, my faith is at a really low ebb. Can you carry me into the presence of Jesus? We all have moments like that. And you have to have faith that your friends will not dismiss you or despise your lack of faith, but they will know that their faith for today will carry you to Jesus because one day your faith will carry them. The other thing about corporate faith is it can work the other way. Jesus, when he went to Nazareth, you have these startling words. He could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. He couldn't do mighty work there because of their their unbelief. That means that my lack of faith might not just hinder me. It might hinder you. Your lack of faith might hinder what happens here. That's challenging, isn't it? So we need to know how to grow our faith, to build our faith, because growth, faith can grow. I think it was David Paulson when I, that first told this story to, in my hearing. Was, he talked about a lady who came to him when he was pastor at Guildford and said, I've been praying for my neighbour and... And she's not coming to faith, and that's why I'm praying all the time. I don't understand why God's not doing that. And he said to her, do you really believe your neighbor will come to faith? 
I mean, is there any sign in her life that she's got any interest? And she said, well, no, but I'm praying. And he said, actually, do you know and like your neighbor? He said, no, she's horrible. I'm praying so she get come to faith so she'll become a nice person. I don't, we don't hardly speak. He said, do you think you could pray that you might have a conversation over the garden fence? Do you think you could pray that? She said, yes. He said, have you got faith that God might be able to do that? She said, oh, well, yeah, that's, I could do that. And so she prayed to have a conversation over the garden fence. And a little while later, they had a conversation over the garden fence. She reports it back to David Paulson. and he goes, that's great. What did you talk about? Well, we talked a little bit about gardens, really, and kids and stuff. Fantastic. He said, keep praying that prayer, but also pray that when you invite her into your house for a cup of tea, she'll come. Have you got faith for that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, just about. I think she might. So she carried on praying, having conversations over the garden fence, and then she came to tea. David then said, pray that she would invite you into her house for a cup of tea. You can see where this is going, can't you? Step by step by step by step by step by step. One day, she said, you know what, David? She's going to come to church. I invited her to church. He said, do you believe that if she comes to church, she, she could come to faith? She went, oh, yes. Pray it then. And she did. Sometimes we pray for what we want, which is way beyond our faith quotient at the moment. Just because in our heads we know God can do it doesn't mean our hearts are full of faith. One way to grow faith is, is to pray prayers within what you trust God for. And when he speaks to you about whatever it is, do whatever he tells you. And faith will grow. Faith will grow. And as I said, your faith growing is important not just to you. He could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. But if we all take these adventurous steps of faith, there's no knowing what God will do. Amen. Faith is the road down which miracles travel. Remember too that faith is personal. In the end, it's about who you trust. In the garden, that first garden, it wasn't just that they doubted God. They trusted the serpent. Who are you trusting? Do you trust God and what he said in his word? Or do you trust the serpent? That was the great thing. And that's personal. You're saying, Lord, I don't trust you. He who died for you, I don't trust you. Are you at a point where you're listening too much to others and not to him? Is that your challenge? Faith is personal. If you reject what God is calling you to do, he takes that personally. And so do you when people don't trust your word. Last two facets of faith. Spontaneous and disciplined. Sometimes there are moments, aren't there, when God speaks and you respond. Just in the moment. How many people went to West Point last year? Okay. How many people 
gave more in the offering than they planned to give at the beginning of the meeting. Yeah. What happened? You thought about it. You probably prayed about it. You thought, yes, you'd done your calculations. I think this is a good thing. And in the meeting, God spoke to you. And faith happened. And you went, oh, yes. For Val and I, it was one of those... Uh, well, not challenge. It was a great time. It was, uh, it was just amazing. But as the meeting went on, we talked and we thought, no, no, we're going to have to double what we said, aren't we? Yes. And as the meeting went on, then we more than doubled the double and we were n- have never been happier giving as in that moment. Because it wasn't guilt, it wasn't manipulation. You didn't, just wanted to be involved in this great thing that God was doing. And uh, that was the amazing thing. You could tell that faith was uh, happening in the room because the next morning, you you must have heard the story, the next morning we've got far more than the target that had been set. I think the target was 250,000. By the next morning it's around 420,000. That was the first announcement. And in the breaks, people, there was a box outside in the reception. They kept on emptying the box because people are putting more money in the box. I mean, part of me was saying, surely people are saying, we've more than met our budget, so I don't have to give what I plan to give. I mean, that's, that's how I could have felt if God hadn't got hold of me. It's like, well, I don't need to. We've more than met our budget. But do you know what happened? Faith was evoked, and no one wanted to miss out on responding to God. In one sense, there was no need, except who wants to miss out on being part of a miracle? Just like to tell you, that by now, over £620,000 has come in response to that offering. And uh, at West Point, you'll hear about the plans we've got. We've spent some of it, but there's, it's a bit difficult to spend that much money all that quickly. Well, it's easy to spend it wastefully. And there's lots of thoughts about this is an investment by God for a big thing, and we're going to make sure we spend it wisely and well. But it was miraculous. Now, don't put, let that put you off coming to West Point. It's going to be a great year. Um, I'm sure God will speak to you, but it might not be on money. Um, sometimes it's in the moment, isn't it? And sometimes it's disciplined. So God says, your, Jesus said this, your fev- heavenly Father knows what you need, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He's talking about material things. If you trust that, then you can give on a disciplined basis to God's work. So Paul talks about, in his letter to the Corinthians about giving, he talks about giving proportionally. So as your salary goes up, you give more. As your salary comes down, you can give less. To give proportionally, to give generously, to give sacrificially. That's what Paul says. And Christians do that because they trust in him who can provide seed for the sower. And maybe that's a challenge for some, some here today, that your giving is not disciplined. It's the loose change. It's the unthought-about amount. It's the spare cash. Do you know, biblically, it should be the first bit. I was very fortunate. I became a Christian at 15. And although I came from a non-Christian background, very early on, God got hold of me on giving. And I talked to my pastor. And I said, Pastor, I want to give. How much do I give? 
And he, he just went, well, in the Old Testament they gave 10%. And he said, personally, I can see no reason why I should give less than that because I got so much more than they did. So at 15, I thought, that's a problem. It wasn't the amount of money that was a problem. It was like, how do you divide 13 old shillings? By t- you know, how do you get a tenth of that? But I did work it out. And it has been a principle for, for us all the way through our lives that the base that we would give would be 10%. And you know what? All sorts of things God has given to us. Things more valuable than what money can buy and some things that money can buy that we couldn't afford, he gave to us. Where's your faith level about giving? Is that the challenge for you today? Maybe God's been speaking to you about being generous to somebody or there might be a project in the church, I don't know. Andrew has not primed me for this. (laughs) But you've been thinking about it. Maybe there's a spontaneous moment when you think, oh, that's... For me, the spontaneous thing is, is some giving. Or maybe the challenge is that, actually, I've never got round to entering this part of the adventure of faith, of working out my, what I think before God my proportion should be, and working out to do that diligently, and doing that first, and not as a leftover. Is that your challenge? The adventure of faith is always a challenge, but it is always richly rewarded so I just got a couple of more things to say where do you need to exercise faith is it in risky deeds or in quiet trust is it by taking action or by waiting patiently will it require a spontaneous response or faithful discipline will it look like falling backwards or standing on a chair and shouting Jesus is Lord Or will it look like getting into a wheelbarrow? Blondin was an acrobat. I think he was the first man ever to do a tightrope walk across Niagara. Crowds, hundreds, thousands of people came to see him. One day he went over with a wheelbarrow. And as he got back... He said, do you think I could carry a man across in a wheelbarrow? And people looked a bit quizzical. So he got them to fill the wheelbarrow with enough potatoes so it was the weight of a man. And he went across Niagara and back. And everyone then cheered, we believe, we believe, we believe. And then he made the challenge. Who will get into the wheelbarrow? There are many people who say they believe in Jesus because they believe some facts about him. But they've never got into the wheelbarrow. Is that you? You can sing the hymns and say the prayers and come to meetings, but when it really gets down to who or what you're trusting, you're not trusting Jesus. Maybe this morning the challenge is for you, leaving aside every other challenge, this challenge, it's time to get in the wheelbarrow, to commit your life to him, that whatever he says, wherever he causes you to go, 
that you will go. You've seen the difference he's made in other people's lives. You love being with his people, but you have never personally committed to him. Today's the day you get in the wheelbarrow. Imagine the story of the man who did that. And when he got back, imagine the story of Peter. Although he sank a bit, he did walk on the water. There is no way of preparing you for the adventure that Christ might take you on. But it will be worth its weight in gold. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you this morning that you would speak to us. Lord, speak to me. That we might not just be informed about faith, but we might be inspired to acts of faith, responses of faith. So, Lord, whatever it is for me, for us, help us. And, Lord, for those who have never really made you, Lord, I pray that this day might be the day when belief is not just a matter of accepting facts, but of trusting a person, of trusting you. Lord, lead all of us in the adventure of faith. Lead this church into many such adventures. For your glory's sake. Amen. Oh, isn't he good? That's God, but also Mick. Thank you so much, Mick. I don't know whether you know this. Um, do you know Pickering from uh, 